Well, we got some new census data from Stats Canada. You may have heard or seen it on the news today. It's interesting. They were looking at households and how they've changed. They looked at a few different things today and they found out some interesting stuff. There are more people living alone than ever before, but the proportion of households where roommates live together or multiple generations of a family share a home is also uh, rapidly rising. It's a shift Stats Can says maybe due to a need for financial support that's specifically about roommates and a lack of affordable housing, as well as voluntary factors such as companionship or social support. Uh, Here is one of their experts uh, speaking about what these numbers mean. The last time that we saw a similar pattern with a non-census family household being the fastest growing household type was um, from 2006 to 2011. So if we compare, both of those periods had an economic downturn, which may in part explain this shift to, to living in roommate households. So that is one of the trends that we saw. It also showed, again, that more people are living alone than ever before. StatsCan says roughly 15% of all adults aged 15 or older lived alone in 2021, the highest share on record. Uh, Demographer Laurent Martel of StatsCan says single-person households are more prevalent in several other countries, though. And in particular, in the Nordic countries, where about four in 10 households are composed of one person. Among G7 countries, only the United States have a slightly smaller share of one-person households than Canada. So quite a few one-person households there as well. Martel says the number of households where roommates live together again or multiple generations of a family uh, are living in one home is also rising rapidly. So what to make of all this? What picture or portrait does it paint of our country these days, specifically uh, the households in this country? Because it appears to be changing. Joining me now is Margot Hilbrecht. She's Executive Director of the Avenier Institute of the Family in Ottawa. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Always lots to digest when these tranches of information come out, but uh, what stands out for you in, in what we're learning today about uh, about the structure of, of the Canadian household? Well, there's a, a number of things that jumped out. There's so much information there. One of the main things that I noticed was the fact that people living alone, isn't that number is increasing, so that, that continues to go up. Uh, we saw that surpass the number of people living in couples or with in a family with children uh, in 2016. But that trend just continues to be on the rise and is mostly, I believe, a reflection of the aging population. So they're saying with the baby boomers getting older, um, there's just so many of us and we're living longer. So that's why we have so many people in single households. So that was that was one thing that really jumped out at me. It must have some real implications too when it comes to sort of studying the family. It has implications for the way we deliver services, what we should be on the lookout for. Certainly in BC last year during the heat wave, the heat dome, we know that a lot of people living alone were those who suffered the most. Uh, there are some challenges when it comes to, to that number of people living alone. There are, and there, there's challenges in relation to not only the social services and health supports and caring that we give to the people, but also in terms of accommodating other special needs, uh, especially as people get older, to ensure that the housing is in good condition if any adjustments need to be made to accommodate special needs. So there's there's things like that going on. Um, but with, with families, it can it can be a challenge getting to see them, perhaps not so much 
as it would be if they were living in co-resident homes like older adult or senior centers. As we saw during COVID, there were many restrictions happening there. But uh, yeah, definitely we're seeing an aging group living on their own. We also saw, I gather, more sort of different kinds of of what we would call families. Multi-generational is more common or becoming more and more common now in this country as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's another thing that we've been seeing on the rise for the past couple of census releases, and it continues to go up. Now, it still does compromise a fairly small proportion of the households in Canada, but we see it primarily in urban centres, so places where uh, we have large immigrant and racialized populations who tend more often to live in multi-generation settings. It may also speak to the number of young adults, those between the ages of 20 to 34, who are continuing to live at home. Yeah, it was interesting. Also, I gather that there are a lot more children living with grandparents, which I guess is a reflection of that multi-generational statistic as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we did see that. So, And they're still, still more living with grandparents and the parent generation. Um, than there are with just grandparents and grandchildren, although that has increased too. So those gen- those families that we would call skip generations, sorry, skip generation families without a parent present are increasing in numbers. And we need to take that into consideration with some of our policies and so on to help to support them. Yeah, what does that look like? I mean, again, I guess this all goes back to we we have a system in place that was built around a certain concept of a of a household, and we're seeing as with each of these census tranches, each time we do these these uh, these surveys, we're seeing a, a shift in what that household looks like. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are, and we have to be responsive on a policy level. So, for example, if, if a grandparent has custody of the grandchild, those are things that um, educators need to be aware of, like who can sign permission forms for a child to get, to get a COVID vaccine, who can sign permission for them to go on a school field trip. It, it's not just government. It occurs at a number of different levels. So we have to make sure that there's appropriate measures in place to identify those grandparents who are caring for grandchildren. So yes, it's important to take a step back and look at the way we normally do things that have been based on policies that were established when a dual parent family with with their children was the norm and think about the many other diversities of family forms that we see outlined in the census today. Lots more roommates too. That was not surprising mm-hmm. because I, I think we're just with the economics of housing, we're seeing that shift. But uh, what what about that uh, struck you? I thought that was quite not surprising, but it was it was quite interesting to see just how many people are sharing living space, so to speak. Yeah, it was interesting to see, and the rate of growth, although it still accounts for a very small proportion of the population, uh, that household form is growing faster than any other, and. Again, this is happening mainly in urban locations in cities that often have at least one or two post-secondary institutions available and where, quite frankly, the housing prices are just um, out of control. So it's becoming very difficult for people to have a place on their own and they need somebody to share the, the expenses of living. 
again, what kind of what kind of challenges does that present then uh, for policymakers if you're having to try and accommodate a whole variety of of households in this country? Yeah, I, you know, there's I suppose there's a number of things that that come up, but I think mainly of um, how we approach housing. So in recent years, there's been a focus on housing to accommodate one person, so one bedroom apartments and condos and lofts and so on and fewer that are are two bedrooms so that might be something that they think about in housing policy when you have roommates Um, so there's there's things like that that I think we need to be reactive in in different sectors in order to make sure that people have enough space and they have adequate housing to support their well-being my guest this half hour is Margot Hilbrecht. She's the executive director of the Vanier Institute of the Family. We're talking about a new uh, tranche, a new batch of census data that came out today, describing and really painting a portrait of what Canadian households look like. It is still quite similar to what it's been in the past, but we are seeing some real trends. Uh, people living alone, people living with roommates uh, as well, uh, multi-generational families um, or multi-generational households. Um, one of the bigger changes we've also seen is is uh, is the number of common law, uh, quote unquote, common law couples living together. And uh, that certainly would have some impacts uh, for policymakers. And we'll get to that after this. I'm speaking with Marco Hilbrecht. She's the executive director of the Vanier Institute of the Family. We're talking about new census data today, painting a portrait of Canadian households. It's an interesting one. There are more people living with roommates. That's been a big jump. Uh, There are certainly more multi-generational households. Another big jump, more parents kids living with their grandparents. We're also seeing more people living alone, which uh, is both indicative, we think, of, of, of two different trends here, which is expensive housing and an aging population. So people, uh, both those pulling in different directions. Another one that I found interesting, I grew up in Quebec. So, you know, Quebec's always been at the forefront of this sort of non-married uh, couples living together. Um, but we're seeing a, a jump again in the number of uh, Canadian uh, households that are common law partnerships, where couples are living in common law partnerships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Quebec, as you mentioned, has always led the way in this area, and they continue to grow in the number of common law relationships they have. And I should mention the the overall average for the number of Canadians in living in common law relationships is really pulled upward by the number of uh, people living in Quebec who live in a common law relationship. So across the board, we see these elevated levels that are are pulled slightly upwards because of Quebec. Also in Nunavut, what's really interesting is they they have even an even greater percentage of couples living in common law relationships. In Nunavut, right. In Nunavut, yes. So they're attributing that to having such a young population and the fact that younger adults living in common law relationship for them is the norm. So people between the ages of about 20 to 24, they tend to not get married at that time, but they're far more likely to live in a common law relationship. So that goes some way in explaining what's happening in none of it. It, it is quite an interesting stat, as you point out, Quebec, 43% of Canada's common law couples live uh, in Quebec, which of course is interesting because they don't have common law in Quebec. So it's it's an interesting term that we use, but uh, but still couples living together that aren't married. One of the other things that stood out again um, is just the number of, we're having fewer kids. I mean, that, that, that seems to be clear from this, this census data as well for households across the country. Yes, yes, we are definitely the fertility rates are down. And this, you know, in contrast to what people thought might happen during the pandemic, uh, people did not 
experience. We did not have a mini baby boom going on there. Rather, people were less likely to have children, and mainly because of the the uncertainty, both for economic instability with uh, the amount of unemployment that happened, especially at the beginning, and then the health conditions that were going on as well, and also um, lack of contact, I would say, with other other people in their support system outside of the household who may be able to to lend a hand when babies are little and children are young. So that's really decreased. And that that's a trend that we've been experiencing over time is this decline in our fertility rates. So if we take this all together and paint a portrait of the Canadian household, what is it telling us in a nutshell, do you think, from, from your perspective? Oh, well, we see a lot of... A lot of population aging and uh, that's been going on and it's reflected in the housing situation with living alone. It's reflected in the number of couples who uh, do not have children that now exceeds the number of couples that do. It's, um, you know, it's been an an interesting situation too when we we look at um, kids who are living with parents and also parents who are um, yes yeah, so just aging and still responsible for this younger generation when we think about common law too we're seeing some some changes that hadn't occurred to me earlier but we see the baby boomers more likely to be cohabitating than they were in past so often over the course of a lifetime they may have had more than one a marital relationship or common law relationship and now they're at a point where they're choosing to not marry which is unusual for this generation uh, so there's yeah there's a number of different changes that are are going on the multi-generational family that we talked about earlier important to think about especially when it when it comes to um providing care, you know, they may be able to pool resources, um, provide childcare, provide care for older adults. So I think that's interesting, but also the housing has to be appropriate for their needs too, because you're fitting three generations into one household. Um, There are implications for space and, and crowding and so on. Not to mention, you know, any interpersonal activities with their relationships to that, um, you know, people may need some space. So I think that um, it also points to younger adults waiting until they're a little bit older to have children marry and settle down. They're busy. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just going to say. So, so when you when you take this all together, I mean, our our policymakers are obviously presented with this have a much better picture of what Canada looks like. Um, mm-hmm. Are we are we moving ahead fast enough policy wise in terms of accommodating all this, or are we still lagging? Oh, I think we're still lagging. We we uh, you know we're just now getting the inf- information, and it will be up to the different government government departments and policymakers to really think about what it means and how they can respond effectively to it to ensure well-being of Canadian families in, in all their diversities. Well, thank you so much, Margot Hilbrecht. Thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me.